I'm David Belson. And I'm Rachel Redan. And this is the Branding London Podcast. The first season is brought to you by Libro Credit Union, a group of epic humans focused on increasing prosperity in southwestern Ontario. They have just launched a new campaign, My Life Here, which fits the theme of this podcast quite nicely. To learn more, go to libro.ca slash mylifehere. On the podcast today is Peggy Settler, MVP for London West. Had a great conversation with Peggy about our community and what it takes to build a stronger community and uh, learn a little bit more about the role of an, an MVP and how they uh, bring constituents' voices to Queen's Park. So it's a fascinating conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it. Here's Rachel with the land acknowledgement, and then we're up with Peggy. We would like to acknowledge the history of the traditional territory and honor the long-standing relationships of the three local First Nation groups of this land and place in southwestern Ontario. The Ottawandaran peoples once settled this region alongside the Algonquin and Haudenosaunee peoples and used this land as their traditional hunting grounds. The three long-standing Indigenous groups of this geographic region are the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Lenni-Lenape peoples. I'd like to recognize the three First Nations communities neighboring the city of London. Chippewas of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, and Muncie Delaware Nation. We continue to honor the legacy of the space we're in by using the Roundhouse to tell stories, increase collaboration, and work with our clients to improve human lives. We believe that telling the stories of our fellow Londoners will help bring us together to solve problems. All right, as a warning for this uh, interview with Peggy Sattler, the audio cut out uh, about halfway through. We were uh, live streaming at the event, so we were able to use the audio from the live stream device uh, for the rest of the Peggy's interview. Um, so the audio does get a, a little bit choppy. Uh, that is a failure on my part to notice that the device <laughs> shut down. Um, it was a, a engaging conversation with Peggy, so I, I stopped paying attention to the blinking lights um, and was paying attention to the dialogue I had with her. I still think the content and uh, the story is worth sharing, but uh, do be aware that the audio uh, gets a little bit rough about halfway through and if you can listen through and enjoy the content uh great if you end up uh having to skip through this uh episode because you are a little bit of an audio file and can't handle it we also understand so we'll uh, we'll make it up pe uh, peggy by uh having her back on a, a future episode thanks so much Bye. I'm Peggy Sattler. I'm MPP for London West, uh, and uh, I am the ONDP, the Ontario NDP candidate for the election that's coming up. Uh, There's an election coming out here. Actually, it's kind of funny, the number of doors I knock on and people say, oh, yeah, I think I heard about the election. Uh, it's no signs yet, eh? So. Yeah, yeah. When you're immersed in it, it's all you think <laughs> about, but it's not, uh, you know, people have a lot more things on their mind than, uh, <clears throat> than just the election. But anyway, I, uh, I work in uh, London in a constituency office. I work in, uh, at Queen's Park in, uh, in my legislative office. And, uh, and my focus really is on bringing the concerns of Londoners to, uh, to Queen's Park uh, to inform what I do in terms of advocating with uh, the government uh, representatives, cabinet ministers, and just, uh, just making known uh, what London needs in order to ensure that we are uh, flourishing and that 
people in this community have a, have a, a great opportunities to, to build good lives for themselves and their families. Then, um, you know, I, I talked to a couple other uh, politicians through this series. Um, you know, there's the constituency office job, which I could just describe, but then in legislator, are you, are you on committees or have a, an official capacity within the government there? Uh, yes. Yeah, so critic of something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have three major critic portfolios. And I feel incredibly lucky because all three of my portfolios are, are policy areas that I'm very passionate about. So I am critic for women's issues, uh, also critic for education, so K to 12, uh, and critic for uh, advanced education and skills development. So. It's a great opportunity for me to sort of, it kind of brings together all of the things that I've been involved in uh, throughout my life. Uh, have always, uh, you know, been uh, a passionate feminist. Uh, you know, it was my involvement with with uh, women's issues that kind of got me going in politics in the first place. Uh, uh, I was a school board trustee for 13 years. Public education is near and dear to my heart, uh, and uh, I feel it's kind of at the root of everything we want to achieve as a, as a community and as a province. And then, of course, advanced education and skills development is something, it's an area that I was doing research on as a researcher before I got elected, which is how you and I yeah. uh, got to know each other. Uh, and workforce development, uh, skills development, I think is, is another uh, fundamental piece of how we're going to ensure that that we can build an inclusive economy that provides opportunities for everyone to participate. You know, workforce development is really where social justice and kind of the economy come together uh, because we need to make sure that persons with disabilities, uh, indigenous uh, people, uh, women, uh, youth, that everyone has uh, has opportunities to uh, to to find employment that is meaningful to them and that uh, that enables them to uh, to build the kind of life they want for themselves. It's interesting too because um, the project and I worked on before you left <laughs> and politics uh, was uh, through the workforce planning board is called Work Trends. Um, that's where we first met. Uh, and you know one of the other aspects that I think came out through that project is the there's also the, the mismatch of of skills too, right? So you have the yeah. technology community saying you can't have talent. Yeah. And you have people who have traditional skill sets in manufacturing or, or trades that uh, you know are, are struggling to find yeah. employment in the region, and uh, that's always seemed to me to be an unfortunate thing. I don't know how you solve that problem, but uh, to have two different narratives in the same city, you know, we can't have uh, we can't find enough people for our business. And then also having you know, extreme unemployment on the other side is yeah, an interesting problem, I think, for any community to try to solve. Yeah, and it's it's a huge concern. We just saw in the last uh, in the census numbers that came forward that um, London has the uh, the lowest level of workforce participation of any major urban centre in Canada. So we have uh, you know, a, a quarter of our working age population is either not working or not looking for work. They're, they're completely outside uh, the labor market. So it's not only 
uh, uh, people who are not able to find employment uh, or people who are underemployed and not able to use their skills to, to their full uh, capacity. But it's also all of those discouraged uh, workers who have um, who just feel that they've lost hope and that there's no ability for them to even enter the labor market. And that is uh, that's an issue that we have to, you know, really uh, work together as a community with help from uh, from the government to uh, to try to move forward on. So I guess um, you know, for those that don't know, the the critic uh, role, uh, you know, taking that space value, just that you're criticizing the the current government's position on things, but I know it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. So maybe for those that aren't familiar with what the role of a, of a critic, so you have a portfolio um, as a critic. For your government, what does that actually mean in a practical day-to-day -day sense? Besides, one of the one of the the things that I love about the Ontario Legislature, I don't know if you've ever been to. No. Oh, you got to come. So the Legislative Chamber, where we do business, there are uh, two benches. So there's the government benches on one side of the room, the opposition benches on the other side of the room, and the speaker is at the top of the chamber. But above the benches, there are these beautiful carvings. And uh, where we sit in the opposition benches, we look at the, this carving of, of a hawk, of an eagle. And that it reminds us as opposition members that uh, our job is to be watching, you know, carefully what the government is doing and to be, you know, pushing the government to, uh, to make the kinds of changes that we now need to be made. On the, if you're sitting on the government benches, you're looking at the carving of of an hour, and so it's reminding the out the the government members that their job is to be be wise in terms of their decision making and ensure that the decisions that are made are in the best interest of everybody. But I I think that 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 is the nature of our system that when you are in the third party or the official opposition, your role is to really monitor very very closely what the government is doing and push the government. To, uh, to make some of the changes that need to be made. So it's not just you know opposing, although the, the, the title is the official opposition, but it's also proposing, like you know pushing for, advocating for great new ideas that, that should be uh, put into place. And, and there, we have had some success, I personally had some success in terms of putting issues on the table, you know, bringing the government's attention to problems that need to be fixed, and then and then getting the government to actually take those up and move those forward. Yeah, and so that is a bill 1C148, is that the, the bill that you were talking about there? Exactly, there? exactly. So I had a private member's bill uh, on uh, to provide paid leave for, for employees who have experienced domestic violence or sexual violence. Uh, I, uh, I, I pushed hard on that legislation. I, I, I had a strong coalition of of uh, uh, women's advocates and uh, labor advocates and, and employers, quite frankly, who recognize the importance of that. And, uh, and uh, through the work that we did, we, we got the government to, to finally agree, yeah, this is something we need to do. So those changes were made in the Employment Standards Act, which was really important. It's going to be incredibly important for, uh, for in particular, women who tend to be uh, overwhelmingly the, uh, the, the survivors of domestic violence or sexual violence, but for everybody in this province who has experienced 
violence in a in an intimate partner relationship or, or any kind of sexual assault and who needs to be able to uh, recover and start to heal from the trauma without jeopardizing their employment. Yeah, it's one of those how I would have been one of the sub, uh, employers to support something like that because uh, yeah. actually it's so counterintuitive that you wouldn't give yeah. person the leave yeah. recognizing you know the larger corporate environments or um, you know the different machines that exist sometimes there's just a policy that they have to enforce even if they disagree with the policy at a large corporation right so this allows them to have that dialogue so um, you know I think that's a really good case study in how even if you're in a, an opposition if you're MPP with a specific mandate you know you can still enact change with the uh, government yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, maybe when the changes make sense, yeah. it's kind of a no brainer. Let's do this. Right. Yeah. You know, do you think, uh, well, you know, I want to stay out of the political sphere, even though that there's a uh, uh, thing coming. But I think, we, you know, when we talk about innovation, um, do you think governments, uh, and obviously your experience with the Ontario government, does a good enough job about keeping that door open without getting into specific party politics? But does the system allow for that, or is that still something that? It would be nice to see more ability for private member bills to find purchase. Or do you think we do a good, good job of that in Ontario? Well, I think the nature of, uh, of our electoral system with uh, elections every four years means that it is hard to move forward with innovations that might go beyond that four-year window. Mm -hmm. So what, what ends up happening is, is I think that it, in, in some ways it can it can hinder innovation because it, it innovation involves mm -hmm. risks. I mean, when you're looking at applying new ways of thinking or new approaches or systems, uh, and you you're you're motivated to produce positive change, but you know you never know if mm -hmm. it's going to work. And so uh, so governments tend to be risk averse mm -hmm. because they are operating within this four-year election cycle, and uh, and so that can. Uh, that can sometimes uh, uh, limit or stifle innovation to a certain extent, but but uh, it is critically important that uh, that governments do find ways to uh, to be open to new ways, uh, creative ways of problem solving and, and applying different kinds of uh, strategies to uh, to achieve change because there are so many issues that uh, that we know need work and uh, we need to, to be able to, to identify uh, uh, where the needs are and then look at, at, uh, at new ways of, of dealing with them. And there's problems like, you know, poverty, which we have been aware of for decades and decades. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the, the academics call these wicked problems. Mm -hmm. They are problems that are, that are deeply entrenched. And so, you know, there's not going to be a silver bullet that can magically solve it. We need to, to look at, at uh, innovative ways that, are, that will cross many different sectors and bring people together to, to try to Party going on. These mics will isolate the, <laughs> the sound for the audio. Well, maybe give them a second of time. Sure. I'm deaf. So if you're worried about the background noise, it does get isolated here. Uh, one of the advantages of having an open source office, you get to experience the excitement of something happening. Uh, you know, the, one of the things that, you know, it's not a, a specific part of your role, but I wanted to ask you uh, about 
uh, seems to come up um, quite a bit. Uh, your name comes up in women in politics in particular. Uh, there's so many different uh, people I've talked to, and it's like, yeah, Peggy's helping me out with this, or uh, you know, Peggy's, and you, you know, and truly across uh, political spectrum as well. So obviously, you support your, your party and your mandate there, but there does seem to be a you know part of your innovation is helping to get women involved in politics regardless of where they fall on their political spectrum. Is that a fair statement? Or? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And why is that important to you to do that? Uh, because democracy is important to me and uh, democracy requires that, uh, that there be equal representation uh, from women, from people with different abilities, from you know, uh, LGBTQ, uh, from uh, racialized people. Like we need to engage a broad spectrum of of people and politics in leadership, in decision making, to ensure that that, that we're making the best decisions uh, that uh, that respond to the needs of everybody who uh, who lives in our community or in our province. So. Do you think London? I mean, there's a women in politics group. In London, obviously, I'm not a privy to how that works in other communities, uh, but that seems to be a really hesitating and influential but successful group in bringing out uh, some political candidates. I think once May 1st hits, we'll start to see some, some strong uh, municipal candidates in particular. But um, do you think that type of innovation of getting together is producing the results that you would expect? Is there still a lot more work to do? or? Uh, there is more work to do, but I think I, I can't say enough good things about women in politics. I'm so proud of, uh, of the work that that organization is doing. Um, you know, there there are there's a national and provincial organization called Equal Voice that that uh, does uh, similar work. Uh, but we have uh, this this very uh, organic kind of made in London. Uh, organization that formed uh, called Women in Politics, uh, and, and it's the kind of mentorship that they can provide, the kind of leadership, the awareness raising that they can provide that's really going to make a difference. And I know myself, when I first, uh, uh, as a young woman, and I was looking to, you know, where I was going to find my place in the world, uh, my connection to some like, amazing women uh, political leaders was, uh, was, was really uh, informed who I am and, uh, and made me realize that, that as a woman I can achieve change and so I want to work with as many young women as I can to, and all women actually to, to, to make them realize that yeah, you can make change, you can be a change agent we can policies forward. And the interesting thing about women in politics, and you'll often find when you talk to women who get involved in political life, they are motivated to step forward because they saw a problem and they wanted to fix it. It's not like, oh, I want to be an MPP just because I want to be an MPP. It's like, I want to be an MPP because I care about public education. Yeah, I care about the schools that we're closing in my community. You know, I care about about uh, about uh, all the number of kids who are coming to school without uh, with no no lunch. Uh, I care about these things, and I want to change. I want to make changes around that. So that really has been uh, that's a much more of a driver, I think, for women to get involved in than men. That's interesting. So less about ego driven, more about purpose or yeah, yeah. 
So I guess, um, I don't know, maybe you answered this, but uh, you know, do you think London has a unique community in that sense, or are you seeing other women in politics types of organizations popping up in other, other cities, other regions? Uh, well, I think London's is, is unique because it is made in London. It's a made in London approach that, uh, that has, uh, has emerged kind of just just organically, as I said. Uh, there are, I know, Petitra Waterloo, for example, I, I know that they're just launching an equal voice chapter, and there are some equal voice chapters in, in other communities, but I, I think that what we have in London with women in politics, is it, it, it is definitely uh, unique. The, the thing about London, though, is particularly around women's issues, London has always been this amazing leader. Uh, London was the first uh, community, I, I think, in Canada to uh, to create the London Coordinating Committee to end women in cases, which I, th I think that was created in the 70s, actually, the late 70s. So brought agencies together across sectors, you know, they brought the police, healthcare providers, violence against women advocates, uh, the, you know, justice uh, workers, uh, brought everybody together to look at how, as a community, we can, we can deal with issues of woman abuse or violence against women. And, uh, and, and you know, from that, we recently saw uh, London was the first, uh, the first city in Canada, or first in Ontario, I think second in Canada, to adopt the UN uh, Safe Cities uh, uh, Protocol to look yep. at how we can make our community safe. Uh, the, the merger of, uh, of formerly Women's Community House and the London Sexual Assault Centre mm -hmm. into ANOVA, mm -hmm. that, that, that's a first in Ontario where uh, a woman's shelter has merged, formally merged, with the Sexual Assault Centre to recognize that domestic violence and sexual violence are, are linked, that, that there, you know, that these artificial sort of separations uh, doesn't work for women because the impact of the violence is the same, whether you've experienced it through, uh, through uh, a sexual assault uh, or through intimate partner violence at home. Mm. And so uh, that, that the coming together for those two agencies was really important because it gives a single point of access for, uh, for people who've experienced violence. Do you have any idea why that happens in London? You know, those are some three, I think, really good examples of, you know, even in one system where there's been an, a recognition of a problem that, you know, people have come together to try to solve that problem. You know, if we're, if we're doing firsts of that, like, and as I said, there's other ones that I can point to and say mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're one of the first human color nonprofit network. There's other um, voluntary sector networks, and they're originally patterned off something uh, in Calgary. But the way that it's evolved, uh, to the impact that it has in the city is really a unique uh, London, Ontario experience. And it's the collaboration and cross sector. I don't like what is. Do you have any ideas about what it might be that uh, enables us as a city to really see that challenge and bring people to the table quickly and start working on it? You know, regardless of whether or not we succeed or how quickly we succeed, that there's a willingness to come together and try to solve problems. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know if it's something in our water, but, uh, <laughs> but certainly I think Londoners have always uh, demonstrated a real desire to collaborate and uh, and a real um, 
you know, uh, uh, ability to collaborate <laughs> once they've decided, yeah, we're going to do this, let's, uh, let's try to figure this out. I think that having the post-secondary institutions, both Western and Fanshawe, has, has really helped that process. I know uh, academic researchers from Western have been uh, key, you know, have played key roles in, in, in issues around, uh, around ending uh, woman abuse. Uh, and uh, continue to pe play key roles in uh, things like a homelessness, like we have uh, Cheryl Porchuk who's doing amazing work with the Health Unit and the mm -hmm. London Homeless Coalition on uh, on dealing with uh, with uh, addictions and homelessness and those kinds of issues. Jason Gilliland, who's a human geographer from uh, from Western, has been doing these amazing collaborations with the school board and uh, with uh, on food security yeah. issues to look at uh, dealing with uh, uh, low levels of physical activity among, among youth and also uh, yeah healthy food strategies you know so so uh, London has uh, we're lucky that we have a, a post-secondary institutions uh, at our doorstep and who have academics who want to engage with the community and uh, and help uh, move these, these uh, initiatives forward. That's great insight. Yeah, I think uh, I mean I think you're right because I'm I'm tracing back to a few different initiatives we talked to, and there does seem to be either a Western or Fanshawe component in a, in a lot of them. So absolutely, I, I'm just thinking of a couple. Vicky Essies, who is uh, at Western in the Center for uh, Migrant and Ethnic Relations, and she has done amazing work with the LIP, uh, London Middlesex uh, Local uh, Immigration uh, Partnership. And uh, uh, they have at Western, they've got this Welcoming Communities Initiative, but the collaboration between the researchers at the university and the, all of the on-the-ground uh, organizations that are involved in immigrant settlement and uh, and issues around uh, new you know welcoming newcomers. I think that has been really important in in, in making us a welcoming community. And then of course uh, I think of Fanshawe connect more with uh, businesses. Although not to say that Fanshawe isn't involved in, a, in many many aspects of the community, but the whole. Um, the Center for Product Evaluation and and the, the very very strong networks that that Fanshawe has built with uh, with local business leaders, I think has been uh, really important. No, oh, great. A uh, little small shift in tangent, but I like to ask people uh, why they live in London. Oh my goodness! So I uh, I went to Western actually in the early 80s, and I always remember when I uh, told one of my high school teachers that I decided to uh, to come to Western. Uh, he said to me, uh, "Oh, you're really gonna love London. A lot of Western students who, or a lot of students who go to Western, end up staying." Uh, which I later found is actually not true at all, and it's one of the one of our challenges yep. is getting Western students to stay. I mean, some uh, do, so yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but I thought at the time like there's no way that I'm going to be staying mm -hmm. in London. I, mean, I was from a small town, Dundas, just mm -hmm. outside Hamilton, but my orientation was always more east mm -hmm. than west. So uh, you know, looking more at thinking that I would eventually uh, end up in Toronto. But I then later got married uh, to an academic, mm -hmm. and a tenure track job uh, became available at Huron University College, mm -hmm. and he had never even heard of Huron University College, but I did because I had been a Western student. And uh, so we moved to London in, uh, in 1995. So we, uh, we came back to London uh, because, uh, because of his employment. Um, and so, yeah, that's what brought me here. But I always I think it's really interesting because as a Western student, 
I had this image of London. I lived in the Western Bubble. They talked yeah. about the Western Bubble. And that's where I was. And so uh, there was an all-night AMP. It's now a metro over at uh, Huron and uh, and uh, Cheapside. And that was like the hinterland. That was like so far out of the, uh, of the Western Bubble. Going out the wild. Yeah, exactly. And so coming back uh, as uh, with a young family uh, and, uh, and learning uh, uh, everything that London has to offer, it gave me a completely different perspective on uh, what the community is about. Yeah, people talk about the Western Bubble, and it's an, it's an interesting one. Yeah. I think Fanshawe has done a really good job of, uh, in, you know, especially with some of the campuses moving downtown, recognizing that they need to integrate uh, with the city. And you know, I think it's, you know, don't quote me on these numbers, and I'll, I'll look them up for the final broadcast, but I think I'm pretty close. It's, 80% of the Fanshawe students stay in London, whereas 80% of the Western students yeah. leave London. Yeah. Yeah. Part of that has to do with the way that the college systems work and the catchment areas and things yeah. like that. But um, you know, I think Fanshawe has done a great job of that. And the good news is I think Western's really focusing on that um, as a priority is how to integrate with the community. So the students do leave the bubble from time to time yeah. rather than just going for groceries. Yeah. I think that what, uh, many Western students that I've talked to now, they want to stay in London. Uh, the, the, the challenge is uh, finding employment that, uh, that uh, enables them to, uh, to develop the, the career that they want for themselves. Uh, so that uh, that will remain uh, our ongoing challenge. But through through projects like the one that we worked on, Work Trends, uh, that that was uh, that's one of uh, the key goals of that project is to is to let students become aware of more of the kinds of opportunities that exist in London, and also to help uh, employers understand uh, more about the kinds of skills that uh, young people can bring when they're coming into the community. That, but that's also another big um, uh, another big focus of my work as an MPP and prior to that as a researcher was around work integrated learning. So co-ops, uh, internships, uh, field placements, these kinds of programs that, uh, that give uh, young people uh, uh, hands-on experience in the field that they want to work in. But, but from uh, the perspective of, of a post-secondary institution like Western or Fanshawe, the other benefit of these programs is that they, they um, you know, the student who participates it becomes invested in the community uh, by working in those those programs. They they make contacts, they build networks, uh, and they uh, you know it, it makes them more interested in staying. And it also makes it more likely that they will get a job offer from the, from the uh, from the employer that they've been working with. So uh, that's a big piece of our of our platform. Uh, not to talk politics, but it is something that's really yep. important to me. Uh, so we have made a commitment to uh, to really, really ex expand uh, these kinds of programs for uh, for young people across disciplines, because we often hear uh, that the, the focus tends to be more on the STEM, uh, you know, uh, uh, STEM disciplines and uh, technology or business. But there is a huge value in uh, in uh, bringing in young people who have uh, the skills and flexibility and creative thinking and communication that go with a liberal arts degree. And so uh, allowing students from liberal arts or humanities programs to also 
participate in these kinds of programs is uh, is really important for for our, our economy and uh, to enable these young people to uh, to find uh, jobs in in the community. Yeah, I can't remember who I was talking to, and I think it was maybe even after an interview with formal remarks. But um, you know, my theory is with uh, technical education that. Uh, we're going to basically have to go to almost a complete experiential learning model. Right. Spanchet does a great job of refreshing its curriculum, um, but I think its formal review process is either every three years or every five years. I, I think it's five, but they'll every three they kind of take a look at it and I look at what's happening in the, the, the tech market. Quickly, uh, so is that change, yeah. yeah, with Dipley, the CEO Taylor was at an event for Tech Lines for Tech Weeks, and, and he literally said unironically way back in 2013 like that <laughs> you know his business model has shifted so far that he looks at 2013 as the distant future or just sorry distant this past, past yeah. and so then you start thinking okay if the program reviews let's say even every three years they take a look at it a three year for a three year program you know by the time that a student graduates the material is anywhere from four to five to six years old at best case if they depending on where they enter in the cycle um, they're learning stuff from the ancient past yeah. uh, so that's you know Fanshawe has a great co-op uh, program for the CPA program so at least the employers are able to give them you know, relevant experiences they go through but I really feel like that has to be more integrated because I don't think the education systems can keep up if they're not literally embedding the learning within the organization. I don't know how to solve that. That's what yeah. MVPs <laughs> and, and larger industry partners do. Uh, but I do really feel like it, it's going to be a, they're part of the reason that we have a, a lack of technical skill set is we want to hire people with two or three years of experience mm -hmm. um, because the recent grads are being you know, are great and I'm not disparaging the CPA program, but there's an acknowledgement that we still have another six to 12 months to, right. to get them up to speed on, on how we actually work with technology today or what our processes are. So to the extent that we can reduce those, I think you'll find happier uh, companies to take recent grads than trying to look for that dream candidate right. three to five years out of school. So I, I agree, <laughs> it's a long <laughs> way of saying that. Um, how do you see, you know, where do you see innovation in our city? Like, if you look at across the city in your experience, um, where do you see innovation happening? Oh. I guess I should maybe back up. I'd like to ask for a definition. What does innovation mean to you? And then I'll ask you where you find it. Sometimes the definition of innovation can change the lens that you're looking at. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I uh, think that innovation is applying um, new ways of thinking to uh, address uh, an identified need. Uh, so uh, it can be problem solving. The need can be a problem that's been identified, or the need can be, you know, uh, an opportunity that we want to we want to capitalize on or leverage. And so uh, sometimes uh, the, the need has been around for a long time, and the same old uh, approaches haven't worked. So we have to look at what can we do differently to try to uh, to move this forward. Um, and I see innovation uh, taking place in uh, all, you know, many different uh, areas within our community. 
uh, particularly uh, around these these cross-sector collaborations. You mentioned innovation works, um, the uh, uh, the kind of innovation that is uh, that is unfolding within our uh, within our uh, the nonprofit sector in this community. And innovation works isn't just nonprofits. There's uh, it, it provides these uh, these uh, uh, you know these spaces for for uh, collaboration, uh, for for people who are just involved in the initial uh, stages of, of, uh, of building a new a new business. Uh, so uh, uh, you know, whenever you go into a, a innovation works, you can almost you can almost feel you can almost weird. feel yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the the exchange of ideas and the, the um, energy. yeah the energy that's uh, that is. Uh, uh, there in that captured in that building, so uh, so that's really exciting that that's happening. But I'm also you know I get the press releases, the media releases from Western, and you know the, there's uh, amazing stuff coming out of uh, out of that university uh, with all kinds of uh, of innovations that are going to have a, a a huge impact locally, provincially, nationally, internationally. Uh, so uh, so there's lots going on there. Uh, certainly, Fanshawe, you know, is, is doing amazing work. That 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 uh, uh, the Center for Product Valuation that I mentioned, and and uh, uh, all of the things that they are doing on applied research with the business community is is uh, is uh, is really amazing. And I love I love when I learn about um, little things like uh, little programs uh, that are you know that they they take such a small amount of money. And they took, uh, you know, not too much time to put together, but they have this enormous impact. And and so I was. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah. Uh, so I was at uh, McCormick Home. McCormick is a long-term care facility that has an adult uh, day program for adults or seniors with dementia. And they had a partnership with Fanshawe with both the nursing and the horticulture program on a garden because they found that uh, these um, seniors with dementia, uh, the, uh, the, the, the tactile experience of digging in dirt and gardening, many of them had gardened when, uh, prior to, uh, to their loss of uh, the, the cognitive function. And, and so uh, it, with the, having the students working with these seniors with dementia on gardening, and the nursing students, I think, were involved in an evaluation of it, the horticulture students were working with the seniors, uh, but it, you know the the benefits to these seniors were huge, and also the uh, the learning that can come from a little program like that that can then be uh, uh, applied uh, uh, much more uh, broadly than just in one. That's amazing. So you know when you're in Queens Park and uh, you know people ask you about London or you want you're talking about London. What do you say about the city if somebody says, "Yeah, are you from London? Oh, what's that? You know, what's that city about?" or what? How do you talk about the city when you're out either representing us at Queen's Park or I would assume that you have other jurisdictions that you, you travel to? How do you talk about the city? What do you say about it? I'm I'm so proud to be <laughs> to be from London. I mean, I uh, I take every opportunity available to me to uh, to uh, uh, boast about about 
uh, London and all of these uh, things that we are doing that are, you know, uh, too often that are under the radar that people don't know about, and, and we uh, we also don't give ourselves enough credit for uh, for for doing these things. You mentioned at the beginning, you mentioned the, the prom queen mm -hmm. uh, related to the high school project, but the high school project itself. Uh, London was the for a long time, and I, maybe still is, but uh, is the only community to have that kind of uh, of a partnership between the two local school boards, uh, the the professional theater, uh, and uh, to mount uh, a full scale production that gives the, the students uh, the, this amazing, amazing uh, experience yeah. in, in interacting with all professional set designers and choreographers and uh, director and everything. So it's uh, uh, London has uh, so many uh, uh, is doing so many interesting and innovative things that that uh, sometimes we we don't give ourselves enough credit. And I try to remind people of that <laughs> as much as I possibly can. That's a really good example to you because uh, you know high school project. You know people have the experience of a high school play, and I think a lot of times when you hear high school project, you think just another high school uh, play. Uh, and even in going to the experience, you know you can see, wow, this is amazing, well done. It actually wasn't until the uh, experience that you know, you really started to think about how much it costs the Grand Theater to put on yeah. that production. Because mm -hmm. it is a, a not much different or probably no different than uh, a regular production that they would put on the main stage for the, the as you mentioned, the set designers, the producers, the directors, uh, you know, the, the kids do the, the acting and the I think some of the stage management, but other than that, it's a fully funded project, the same mm -hmm. way you would see any other major stage production. Yeah, and the I really quality, that, the yeah, quality it's, is a, it's an amazing experience. But yeah. I, you know, it's funny you're sitting in the seats, but you actually sometimes just take for granted that you know. I think they said that it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year or something like that budget to put that production on, um, because it is a, a main stage production. So I, you know, it's fascinating. To, that's a great example of another collaboration that. Just flies on the radar here that we maybe don't realize how special that is. So, and and also, you know, uh, you look at the success of our tech sector, mm -hmm. uh, the success that you've had, uh, but also I think it was just last year in 2017, uh, uh, ten. Uh, tech firms from London were among the the, the 500 fastest growing yeah. uh, companies, uh, tech companies. It's 550, but yeah, same okay. ratio. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 10 of them are in London, and yeah. the tech sector uh, makes up a, 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 a small part of our economy, yeah. and yet uh, the businesses that are in that sector are achieving uh, really uh, extraordinary success. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so that is uh, that's another thing that I try to promote as much as I can, and uh, let people know that that we are a, a, a city that uh, that uh, is on the move. Uh, the other thing that's really uh, that I don't think we get enough credit for is uh, our arts and culture. Great. Like I have uh, my sister and brother-in-law are in Toronto, and they often they monitor. Uh, who's playing at the London Music Club and who's playing at the Aeolian Hall? They'll often come to London uh, to catch some of these uh, really, uh, uh, you know, uh, big name acts who are who are stopping here. And then, you know, we're hosting the Junos and the, the uh, Canadian Country Music Awards. We have there's so much going on in our in our arts and culture sector 
and we don't really think of ourselves as a major player in arts and culture, and yet we are. Mm -hmm. like we have we have really uh, exciting uh, things going on. I think some of the you know with the changes of programming at, at Grand too, uh, you know, they have the I always reverse this. So I'm going to think about it for say at the uh, World Curious London Proud initiative. It might be London Proud World Curious. Not really confused myself about which order it is, but uh, you know that concept of, of bringing the world's productions to the stage, but then also they're really focusing on producing local content to tell our stories yeah. as well as yeah. uh, as a region. So um, I think that's an exciting shift as we start to be able to tell our stories more broadly uh, yeah. in the community. It's great. Um, so I have you know my last sort of two wrap up questions. Can I just say something? Yeah. You just mentioned proud uh, and uh, reminds me of pride. Mm. I think London Pride is hands down it, the best pride festival across this province. Like I, I, I plan my vacation around making sure that I'm in London for pride. Whether you know before I was an MPP, for, as long as I am a Londoner, <laughs> I will be at Pride because it is such a it's just this amazing celebration, this outpouring of joy and the connections we have with each other and our acknowledgement that we are one community and we're an inclusive community. It's just I, like I feel like I'm getting emotional right now. It's just, it is so, it's so terrific to see uh, how that, that happens in London and that's a, a big part I think of our identity, this, uh, you know, um, this coming together to not just to collaborate, which we wanted to talk about, but to celebrate, yeah. to celebrate who we are collectively as a as a as a community. It's interesting. Yeah, I've only experienced the one in London, so I have nothing to compare and contrast to. But it's a definitely a, an amazing festival. Where uh, we've been in the parade the past couple of years, and it's a, a lot of fun just to oh, be yeah. part of that experience as well, be on the street and walk the, the course and uh, celebrate our diversity. Yeah, you know, just a lot of I would agree. It's a it's a blast. Yeah. Um, last two questions are really more over to you. Uh, you know, I really like to give space if there's something I should. You know, we think about the city of London and we think about innovation and, and who we are as a city. Is there anything I should have asked you but didn't, or anything that you wanted to bring up? And then I leave the floor open if there's questions. To flip back the other way, get questions for me about the process or or anything. Uh, give you the last five minutes, kind of oh. open mic uh, to something I should have mentioned. I really wish you had asked me about X. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity to think about that. If not, I have no further questions. Okay. I think that um, sort of one of the things that uh, I'm very much aware of as a uh, political representative for the City of London uh, is that, or for, for the riding of London West within the City of London. I feel I'm a champion for London. I think that's fair if you're in the district, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I think that. There is, uh, we always have to be aware that regardless of what brand we come up with or when we're looking at a, at a single brand identity for the city, uh, that there are, uh, that there's still going to be a lot of people who are, who are struggling. Yep. And uh, so this, this for, for decades, you know, London as this kind of white stage, white collar community that had a, uh, uh, you know, all of the, the insurance firms and, uh, you know, the, the, it was viewed as a very affluent community. 
Uh, and uh, I don't think people were really aware of the, uh, well, for one thing, of the extent of manufacturing and how much our economy was tied to the manufacturing sector uh, and blue collar uh, work. Uh, but also, uh, we have some, some really deep and ongoing challenges with poverty and making sure that we can uh, build an inclusive economy. So uh, that always has to be kept in mind. You know, we can, even though we're celebrating our tech sector and medical devices and medical breakthroughs, all the, you know, the research that's going on and, and things, we also have to be uh, very mindful of, uh, of ensuring that everybody in our community has an opportunity to to uh, to build a good life for themselves and find a place for themselves uh, in the uh, in the the local economy that we're uh, that we're building. Um, so that would be my uh, that would be uh, one thing that I, I uh, you know I I'm deeply committed to. Uh, in uh, uh, the work that I do as an MPP, and, and also uh, in the kind of London that I want to, uh, I want to to see, uh, and I want to uh, to move forward. Um, and then you also said, oh, so are you seeing any similar themes? That's my question. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Um, you, you're not the first to talk about um, you know the inclusivity challenge or the disparity between. Uh, different London experiences. Um, when I started the journey, I was hoping to find one common narrative that we could maybe uh, agree or even put out there in the ethos and let a, you know smarter people sort of hammer around on it. Uh, what I'm actually finding, I think, you know, it's more of an, an anthology of stories. Um, some are good, some are not good, um, but recognizing that London has stories to tell more so than maybe a specific theme or a specific story. Um, the other broad theme is uh, you know, the network ability of the city to come together. Uh, you know, people have described this you know, one degree of separation or various yeah. different ways that you can connect uh, to a city. And I think actually part and parcel of the, of the same challenge is if you're in the network, uh, it's an incredibly powerful and, and feels like a vibrant um, city that you can really achieve your goals. Uh, if you're outside of the network, it feels a very closed off place and a place that you can't uh, access resources to and you don't have yeah. the opportunities to succeed. So um, that's why I look at spaces like Innovation Works uh, as being key nodes, you know, because mm -hmm. it's network technology where um, somebody who may have some pre-existing barriers can come into a space uh, and start to connect with yeah. uh, with the network. Uh, you know, lead at Fanshawe, Palo Western, you know, from the business side of perspectives. So, to the extent that we can, um, you know, I think because we have an amazing network, uh, you know, I, I'd say without even joking that you know, I, there's not one person in the city of London that without one phone call I couldn't have lunch with. CEO of any corporation, an MPP, an MP, yeah. um, you know, could probably get to the premier, maybe take two calls, but depending on who wins the next election, that may be harder or easier based on my social graph, but, you know, I really feel like, um, like but that's an incredibly privileged place yeah. to be, um, but I think other people have the same experience in the network, and it's really the power of that network um, that allows that to happen, but if you're not able to access the network where there's barriers or there's filters that you have to go through, uh, that it becomes almost uh, a problem. 
because you can't access the network, but everyone around you can or is in the yeah, network. So yeah. how do we break down the ability for people to access the network will kind of be my next theory. But those are the two kind of common themes uh, where the tension is between acknowledging that we have a great city that's doing amazing things, but also can we say that we're a great city if we're leaving people behind? Um, and I think those are stories that uh, are going to be interesting to kind of have come out to I don't have the right answer to that. The best I think I can do is put out the, the different tension points and, and let the individual consumer decide on where they want to sit in that spectrum. Um, my, I'm more on the lines that I think you can uh, have a great uh, great story and great success. Um, but I think if we want to say that we are a truly a great city, then that has to be said to be true of the maximum population mm -hmm. possible, mm -hmm. uh, ideally 100%. So where are we on that spectrum? How do we move there? What do we need to do to do that? Uh, it's a fascinating kind of thought experiment because there's municipal, there's provincial, there's federal, mm -hmm. there's global. Yeah. All of those things you know, impact somebody's individual connection with their experience in a, in a city. So. Yeah, well, kudos to you for taking this project. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's really exciting. Actually, what you were saying is that sort of connecting with me in, in the sense that I, I mentioned my, my story of how I got to London. Yeah. Uh, but I was seven months pregnant when we moved to London. My husband had employment. I had a I was I had an infant on the way. I had a toddler. So I was not going to mm -hmm. be going back into the workforce. And so my first, you know, my first experience in London was it, it, I did feel very disconnected yeah. because I didn't have those those networks to tap into. And that can be uh, that can be quite quite uh, isolating. I mean, I, I dealt with it. I got I did some volunteer work. Yep. I, I took a course uh, at Western just to sort of meet people. Uh, but but that is a challenge, and especially when we're looking at you know growing our growing our city by bringing in you know people. We have to acknowledge that that uh, that people have spouses and we have and uh, families, and we have to make sure that that. That there are ways for uh, for them to also integrate into uh, into the community. What I think is fascinating to me, and I, I haven't been able to solve why this is, um, there doesn't seem to be a shades of gray on it. It's either people are, you know, wow, London's this great city, and uh, you know, it's a city of opportunity. Not to rip on Mayor Fontana's old line, but there's you know there's so much to do, and I can connect them. Yeah. Uh, or there are literally on the polar opposite that. London's a snobbish, cold, closed off, can't get anything done, nobody works together. And it's literally, I don't know, if it's, I, I don't even want to put a theory out there because I'm done enough thinking about it, but it literally seems to be one or the other experience. It's either the worst city you could ever be in because there's nothing to do, there's nothing going on, there's no arts and culture, it's a you know, culturally devoid city, and then there's this other experience. Yeah. Again, I think it's you know similar to the Western bubble. I think it's a, a if you're inside the London Ontario bubble or you're outside of it. Yeah. Similar, you know, if you're on the hinterlands of uh, that experience, you know, A and P. If you're a Western grad, uh, or if you're not somehow connected, then yeah. I think it's a, the yeah. same experience. You're just not connected to that community. Once you cross over this invisible threshold and are somehow connected into that network, it's an amazing place to be. Yeah. So yeah. how do we break that down or Remove the veil so that people can see the network or yeah. access the network. I think is something that we need to think about. Yeah. In the city. It's yeah. been really fun. Good. Well, thank you for doing. Thanks that. so much for coming on. And well, I know you got a busy schedule, so I'll let you on every day. But thanks so much for coming thank in, you, David. Thank you.
David and I have put our time into recording the Branding London podcast because we love this city and, more importantly, the people in it. Our traction decided to produce this podcast because this work is aligned with our core focus of amplifying great stories to increase relevance, impact, engagement, and momentum. If you'd like to support us, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash brandinglondon. Your generous support will help us to promote this season into more channels so that more people can hear London's good news stories and it'll help us fund future seasons. To find recaps, videos of some interviews, our Patreon link, or more information about us in this podcast, you can visit ourtraction.com slash podcast. Production assistance for this series was provided by Webisodes. Special thanks to Adam Kaplan for his help with recording the live streams and providing the audio from those interviews. We're also grateful for the technical production support of Michael Dales. Thanks for listening. Like what you hear? Subscribe to the Branding London podcast, like our traction on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. 